got a feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, if you don't care, I, I, you guys just raise your hands. I know there's some dads outside. We've got guys that serve different various things from kids, the security, and those kind of things going on around us. So I'm just going to pray for all you dads. We need it. Right? So let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for being such a good heavenly father. You're the only perfect father. So Father, forgive us dads where we fall short to. Father, we just want to we'll see in your word today. We just want to show our families that the best way to live is with life around you. And so Father, would you just help us empower us by your spirit? Would you just teach us this morning, Lord, would you just open hearts and minds to your word that you want to teach this morning. Father, thank you for each and every dad in here. I know some, it's a bittersweet day because your dad is not here. But it's just absent presence. Maybe they've gone on. Everyone physically here. Father, would you, would you just comfort them, bless them, just let them know that you are our Father. Regardless of where we are, when you would have everything we need. So thank you, God. You're a great example. We just love you and thank you. So, this morning's not really a Father's Day message. I'll speak to dads a little bit and, and give some parenting stuff that we find in here. But it's my, my hope and my goal this morning, remember we started this journey kind of last week and Sunday and I, um, Samuel I broke that in half because we had some people talking about the youth trip camp that we went on and, and I started that last week and it's the same every week but more so these two messages I just have this burden of my hope is that you'll see that the Bible is, is more than just a few highlighted kids Bible stories that's more than just David and Goliath and Samuel. There's a whole wealth of stuff in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel, not just chapter 17. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that when we look at the background even of this, we go, wow, look at that. And so uh, my hope is that today will spark you, especially you dads, because you are the leader in your home, to read your Bible and go, I want to dig in there and get some of this into me so that I could be exactly who God created me to be. So that's the ultimate goal. So as I kind of do this almost a flyover of, of 1 Samuel, uh, I hope that's that's what it is for you this morning. And so just wanted to kind of get that up front. I know we're not focused in on any one scripture this morning. I'm just going to kind of skim through 1 Samuel and talk about the stories that lead up to David. And I hope your theology is deeper than those kids' Bible stories. And I hope it's, it goes further than David and Goliath and Noah's Ark. And that, you, that you get deep into the Word and the dads, especially you, because you have such an impact on your family that you cannot even imagine. Kids are, are far more likely to live and do as you do than anybody else. Can. And that's a lot of pressure. That's the way God's designed it. And so, Dad, Dad, I feel you this morning. It's a lot of pressure. It's tough. 
know the struggles and the blessings both. Happy Father's Day. My dad sitting up there. And he endures all the sermon illustrations every week, and so I'm glad he keeps coming back. I think he comes back just to learn new stuff he didn't know we did. Um, I'm like, I'm waiting on the next story so I can know some more stuff of what really went on. Okay? But we're finishing up this series next week called By Faith. And where and all this has come from Hebrews chapter eleven, where you know we did a we did a series through the book of Hebrews. And we got to chapter eleven. We're like, look at all those guys from the Old Testament, all the heroes of faith. And so let's go through each one of those guys and as many as we can, and talk about each one of them and jump back into the Old Testament. And last week we focused on kind of how Samuel came about. Maybe we kind of know how it came about, but that's another story. That's not the sermon, okay? But last week we focused on Hannah and his mother praying to God. She was, her womb had been closed and she did not have children and she was made fun of by her family. Uh, and her husband had, it was two wives and she made fun of her for not being able to have kids because she could. And it was such a, and every, every year they would go to do their sacrifices at the tabernacle and, uh, she would be made fun of and she would pray and pray and pray for God to give her a child and said, God, if you'll give me a child, I will dedicate this child to the Lord, to you. And so um, some of, you know, and even in that, in the midst of all that, of praying for this child and her husband saying to her, hey, you know, but you have me, you know, what's the problem? And we're married and that's first and we, we have each other and there's God and some of you didn't know that the Bon Jovi song Living on a Prayer came from this scripture uh, when you found that out I'm just kidding it really didn't okay uh, but it, you know it, it just it, he just kind of said to her got each other and that's a lot love to give a shot and kind of thing and, and it just worked out okay but she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and Eli the priest remember was sitting at the door the tabernacle heard her, thought she was drunk. She was just praying out loud to the Lord to give her a son. And so he prays for her. And, and uh, so she has a son. And she dedicated this son to the Lord and gave him, took him to the tabernacle to, to give Eli the priest that was there. And, and so... We learned several things last week, and one of those was we are given good gifts into our lives, not to build our lives around those gifts, but to use them to serve God's purposes and leverage those things for Him, for His good. That we're given good things like children, home, or, or uh, whatever it may be. Whatever you look around and go, that's a good gift. That's something I value in my life. So every good, perfect, and good gift that comes from the Father above, the Lord says, that we are to not to build our lives around those things, especially our children, but in our children's case, we're not to build our lives around our children, but to show them how to build their lives around Jesus. And Dad's your number one in that. And you've got to lead in that. I mean, this is part of the, I'll throw in some things to challenge you guys this morning. It's just like going to church. I don't know what the statistics are now, but, but when I was a youth pastor, which has been a while, uh, 
the statistics went in even to, you know, if, if mom goes to church regularly, then the kids are 30% more likely to go to church as, as an adult. But as if dad goes, they're like 70% more likely. I mean, it dramatically increases because of dad's influence. Not that moms aren't important. It's just dads are set up biblically to be that leader of the home spiritually, to guide the family, to be the example of uh, we're to love our wives, we love our families, as Christ loved the church, laid himself down for them. We, we are to show that and we lead in that. And, you know, it's just like in making decisions. I just some of this stuff out. Like if, 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 if there's a decision to be made in the home, uh, it's not that the husband goes, well, I'm in charge, and lords it over and says, so this is just what we're going to do. You know, I'm going to go to my wife and say, honey, what do you think? Here's what I think, what do you think? I, I get all the information I can get. I'm, if it's something real serious, I'll go to the people I know uh, are good at that. If it's a financial thing, I'll go to my dad. If it's, if it's uh, some biblical deep thing that I can't, I'll call Rocky, or I'll go to one of my friends that's a mentor, a pastor, pastor kind of thing. Uh, I get all that information to pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How should I go about this deal? And then I just, I, I may go back and say, well, this is what I decided was best for us to do. Now, Mickey may go, well, I, I don't agree with you, but I'm with you. Okay. And so, if I get it wrong, it's it's not that Nikki comes back and goes, well, I told you so. And kicks me while I'm down. See, see, here's what happens. It, it just helps both of you, okay? As a, as a wife, you don't kick him while he's down. You let God deal with him on his decision, okay? That's the best thing. Let God have it, okay? Let him deal, let God deal with him, and you just pray for him and, and encourage him and say, honey, I know you made the best decision you thought you could make for us, even though it's the wrong one. Uh, I'm with you, and I love you. And, and we'll be okay. You know, singing that Bon Jovi song, we got each other. With my prayer. So, you know, just whatever. But but let God deal with him. If you kick him while he's down and punish him, and God goes, well, you dealt with him. It's much more effective than God does. See, most women want a real man, but they're the reason that they don't have him. Because they've treated him. Okay? You want a real man, treat him like one. Let him lead, and he can get it wrong sometimes. And you just pray for him until he gets it right. Okay? That's, that's the way that should be. Okay? That's a whole other sermon, too. But, but we learned we're given those things, these good gifts, even our marriages, even our children, not to build our lives around those things, but to, to be the example of showing them how to build their lives around Christ. And so the other thing we, we saw in there is when we're oppressed in the spirit, we need to, that great advice that I was given years and years and years ago of, when you don't know what to do, just do what you know to do. Hannah just prayed and prayed and still followed God, still went and did the sacrifices, stayed with her husband, did all the things she was supposed to do even though she was depressed in spirit. She didn't just walk away from it. She didn't say, well, forget you, God. You're not doing what I want you to do. You didn't give me what I wanted. You're not You're not following my plan, so forget church, forget reading this Bible, forget doing all this stuff like we do, Right? Just walking away from it. I'm not going back to church till you do this, God. Yeah, that works, right? That helps us a whole lot. 
But when we don't know what to do, we do what we know to do. Don't quit praying. Don't quit going to church and serving and doing what you should, should do. Do it all the more and probably with a little more passion about it. And take it and what we saw this herd going and Eli there ministering to her. There's, there's people in the church. The church is a place to take our burdens to, our oppression, not hide it from. We come together and, and, and here's a challenge for the church. When that happens, we're to, we're to come around each other and say, hey, this I know you've got this going on. It presses you. We're here for you. Let's pray. Yeah. We're here with you. We're family. We don't, don't hide from family. Just take that burden. There. And just don't take your gifts for granted. Hoovers. Be thankful. Even though it may not be what you want, be grateful for every gift and love to give more than you. Okay, so back to Samuel. This is where we kind of pick up. We're going to take off. I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we're going to end up way, way down the road in 1 Samuel. Okay, so I'm going to hit some scriptures along the way throughout this book. Okay, this is Old Testament. So Hannah takes Samuel to Eli the priest, and she gets there, and he had two sir, two sons of his own already serving in the temple, Eli. He takes in Samuel, and Samuel's just a, a young child, and he begins to raise him in the temple to serve in the tabernacle. And so these two other sons that we mentioned last time, um, Phineas and Ferb, not really, Hophni and Phineas, okay? That's just the way I remember it. Sorry, it just helps me to remember their names. Hophni and Phineas. And here's what we know about Hophni and Phineas, okay? First Samuel chapter 2, looking in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Wouldn't you like your name in the Bible all of eternity that way? Okay. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with three-pronged pork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle and call it in the pot. All that the pork brought up, the priest would take it for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I'll take it by force. This is the priest looking at them when they come to do this and, and saying, if you don't do, if you don't just give me the meat, I'm gonna take it from you anyway, because I have authority to do that. So they're abusing their power to get this good meat from people, taking from people. They were taking from the offerings, and thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men despised the offering of the Lord, so they're taking advantage of their position in, in the tabernacle and with the people. And it gets even worse. Later it says that the people came to, to Eli and they tell Eli, hey, everybody in town knows this is going on, that, that your sons are sleeping with, having sex with the, the women who serve at the tent of meeting. Okay? It, it's just, it's bad. It's, they're terrible men. And so the Lord sends a man of God to Eli. It doesn't tell us who he is or anything. It just says this. He, he sends this man of the Lord to Eli 
And in 1 Samuel 2, 29, it says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice? Here's this guy's talking to Eli. Okay? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling? And here's the key phrase. Help us this morning. There's, there's a couple of things I want to really dwell in on. For us to get it says, And honor your sons above me. By making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people of Israel. So that's serious business right there. That's serious business. Instead of doing what pleases the Lord and and going as far as he needed to go to discipline his sons, you know, at one point he does say something to them, but it's like it's like, hey, don't do that. You know, like get you that. You know, it's like it's, instead of really rebuking them, taking them out of their position, removing them from from the tabernacle, you know, he, he doesn't do any of that. He just he just keeps going. Instead of doing what pleases the Lord and disciplining your children and correcting their behavior, do you just give them what they want? Has that ever worked for anybody? When you just don't, when you don't discipline your children and give them everything they want. We all know that leads to destruction. It, it just does not help your kids. I'm sorry, guy. Okay? It, it doesn't. It does not help you at all. Okay? So that's why your parents do that. Okay? If you could go send that message back to the rest of the kids, that helps us. Okay? This is why your parents do this. Because they're trying to honor God above you. They're trying to raise you to understand how things really should be. Right? We know that if we just give a child whatever the child wants, it would look, the child will be selfish and destructive and evil. So we must discipline and teach our children to follow the Lord and have a healthy fear of the Lord that leads them to know the deeper. And we got to pass the torch to the next generation so that what was given to us doesn't end with us. So we disciple the next generation and teach them. And God is our model for how He teaches us. He sometimes chastises us, right? He doesn't give us everything we want. It's not the way God operates, okay? We should pray with our kids, disciple our kids, look for those teachable moments in life. Teach them that life is more important than any sport, any academic success, any career, any honor they would ever get. Give them that with nothing. And I know you come to church and you go, when I'm sitting in church, I know that. But when I'm out there during the week, it's a little harder to remember. There again, come back to this why we got to stay in the Word, not just come here and here, but read the stuff on and stay in there so that we keep this in mind and die to ourselves daily. But it's giving your kids that is more important than anything else they could get, any honor they would ever get. Give them that. Even if your kids don't ever get to go to Disney. Okay? We think if, the, if our kids don't go to Disney, that there's some, they've missed out in life, they'll never be the same, their life will be less, or whatever it is, and my wife knows this, we have this debate, okay? I think their lives are better for never having Disney at all. I think Disney's one of the world's problems, okay? Because it, it can lose upon a star and can dream you can do. No, you can't. Sorry to be the downer, sorry to be the guy that, like, kicks that into reality is I don't care... What you, not everything everybody just dreams up in their mind can they do and become and, and, and be. 
It's what God designed you and dreamed you would be, not whatever we come up with. And it's not just that I just dream up whatever and I go for it and I, and I can accomplish it. And if I don't, it's because I didn't work hard enough or I didn't do enough. I didn't have enough faith. I didn't, whatever it is. God made you for something and it may not be whatever it is Disney's picking up. Okay? And I think that's part of our cultural shift has been the influence of media in that sense. Sorry, Disney. I know they're not going to call me up and go, you want a free trip? Okay? But, but the deal is don't make much of kids and please them and yourself and not make much of God or please him. The best thing your kids can be is whatever God made them to be. And that may be less than whatever this dream is over here in their eyes. But if you become everything God made you to be in character being like Jesus, because that's the ultimate goal, the more my character is like Jesus Christ, that's what I'm after. That's what I want my kids to be. I don't care if Cole's over in the NBA Okay. If he gets there, great. If he doesn't, great. As long as he has the character and he's honoring God and following Jesus wherever he ends up, he will. I don't care how much money he makes, I don't care how successful in the world guys he is, as long as he has that. Samuel, who's growing up in the tabernacle, is growing in stature with the Lord. You see that all through the from the time she drops him off all the way through, you see Samuel growing in the Lord. He was growing before the Lord and gaining favor. But it's crazy because Samuel gets older. Here's the thing. Samuel's following exactly what he's supposed to do. He's dedicated to the Lord. He's living in the temple. Eli's teaching him. He even has all these, you know, there's a place in here we'll see where Eli, God calls him while he's asleep. And Eli, or uh, Samuel calls him off. He calls Samuel while he's sleeping. Samuel goes to Eli and it's like, did you want something? He's like, what me? Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed, hears his voice again. Hey, Samuel. And he goes to Eli and like, what do you want? And he's like, I'm going to go back and lay down. He does that three times. And, and finally Eli's like, hey, God's probably calling you, so just where you're at in your bedroom, whatever. And he calls him time and answer and say, yes, Lord, what do you want? Okay? So you're seeing him just, it's just, growing and growing and growing. He's that kind of guy and we see him become judge of Israel and he's he's this he's a priest and then he's judge over Israel and he's just a strong leader who stays with the Lord regardless of what everybody else does. But Samuel himself Samuel himself has has two kids and they turn out bad too, just like Hophni and, and Phineas, uh, just like Hophni and Phineas, okay, Tur- turns out bad, just like them, okay. And and it's it's crazy because here you got two guys, one rebukes, one doesn't. Samuel's faithful and godly, and his sons, two boys, still turn from the Lord. So what that teaches us is we have a responsibility to be this way with our kids, but ultimately. The deliverance and the savings of God. Okay, we 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 have a responsibility to them, but God is the one who delivers and saves. All the more reason we should be relentless in discipling our kids and honoring God in our homes. If it's up to God, we should honor Him all the much more. You understand that? 
I should pray all the more knowing it's up to God. I should call out to Him all the more knowing it's up to Him so that they have the best chance possible of knowing God. It's why we pray for our children. It's why we pray for our lost friends and our neighbors who don't know Jesus because we know we can't save them. And it makes us all the more diligent in raising them in a godly way and being a good influence and loving our friends and neighbors. Scripture says that you kindness to repentance. So we approach those far from God with kindness, with love, not with hate, judgmental, you need to get this right, what's wrong with you. Yes, speaking truth when when the, the opportunity is there, when asked, when 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 you can do that with love. There's a there's a big lesson right here. Here's you know that thing I was taught of when you don't know what to do, just do what you know to do. The other thing that I was taught by the same mentor is he said this. And this is 15 years ago lessons kind of thing. Is we're responsible for two people who we're not responsible for. Okay? And there's a difference. And that's even with our kids. Okay? I'm responsible to my kids as a father to do what I am supposed to do as a father, as God calls me to do, as God teaches me to do. I'm responsible to them for who I am, but I am not responsible for them. Okay? I am not responsible in that regards how they turn out. That's the Lord. They will make their choices and they will deal with their consequences. I am just who I'm supposed to be as a father. And that means there's certain things I'm supposed to do, certain things I'm supposed to help them with and growing up and provide for them. And yes, I take responsibilities for their actions as a child in regards to, to other people and if they damage your property or that kind of thing. I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm just saying I'm responsible to be who I'm supposed to be, but, but I'm not responsible for them in that regards. And so Eli is told, and that's we a lot of times we get boxed into that people as though because we're Christians we we gotta you know, people will use that against us and box us in certain ways. You just gotta remember even in ministry, I'm responsible to people, not for people. And sometimes that means not giving people everything we have just because we're Christian and make Christian box. Okay? Sometimes the best thing for somebody is that's a hard thing to do. Pray for them, love them, walk with them. And you don't necessarily just give them everything. So Eli is told that because of his son's disobedience, his two sons, they will both die on the same day. They come what day that is, decision. They're going to die on the same day. The judgment comes against the household of Eli. Even Samuel is called out by God and told, you know, in that thing where God was calling him, he, he answers and he says, yes, Lord. And then God and him have a conversation about Eli and his household. And he goes back and Eli's like, you got to tell me everything you said. And he's like, you don't know what you He's like, yeah, I do. You got to tell me. And he's like, well, okay. The judgment's going to come against your house. Like the voice. And how things are gone. And you not rebuke him. And so Samuel after that he just and Eli kind of accepts it and goes yeah I know I just have to deal with it it's the consequences and 
Samuel grows and grows because it says in there he responded to the word of the Lord. Okay? Now just throw this in there. Here's why I want you to get the Bible. Okay? Is out of every bit of research, you know, you look at Barna, you look at the Reveal study, all these different studies that span 20 years and they look at everything in people's lives and go, why is it that some people grow spiritually and others don't? Why do some move? Why do some serve? Why do some stay in church? Why do, Why are these, you know, the people that look around in the church and they go, wow, they know so much and they're serving and they seem like they're just such spiritual giants. Why are those people like that? And the number one reason, like 2,000% above any other factor is the fact that they read the Bible consistently. That's it. Okay? So, so Samuel grows and grows because he responds to the word of the Lord, which is just audible to him at that point. God calls him and he responds. So 1 Samuel 3, verse 19 through 21 says this, Thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to, to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. His reputation showed that he listened to the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. It's important, okay? So all that happened, and now we come to this battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. This is the first time, first Samuel, you see this this battle between them. And they, remember, we did David and Goliath later. We did that a couple weeks ago, but that's coming. This is before. And so they come to this place called Mizpah, and 4,000 Israelites die in battle, and they can't believe that God let their enemy defeat them. God allowed for them to suffer defeat. 1 Samuel 4, 3, it says this, When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Check this out. Here's, here's the other big one. Point Let us take ourselves from Shiloh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. Did you, did you hear that in there? Okay. Let us go get the ark, which contained... What did the ark contain? It represented the presence of God, and God would speak from it at times. Uh, but but the ark wasn't God himself. Okay. Fox wasn't God. Stuff in it wasn't God. Okay. The angels on top, the wings pointing in, wasn't God. Okay. What was in the box? Anybody remember? Name one of the things. Ten, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, stone tablets. Okay. I can't hear you, sorry. Manna, there was a jar, a pot of manna, whatever it was. It's one other thing. Aaron's staff, raw. Okay. And and so there's these tablets that shows God's... It's, it's this thing of... This box represented the covenant that God had with his people. They were his people, and that he had it was in relationship with them. And, and here's the promises I have made to you. And, and so here's this representation of the law that you can't fulfill the Ten Commandments, just the basics of living. Some people are like, Ten Commandments, if you read them, it's just basic humanity, okay? Don't kill each other, don't steal from each other, don't take your neighbor's wife. 
and, and people get upset or not. We just need to take those out. Get rid of those. It's just basic humanity, okay? You really are to follow those laws whether you are a Christian or not, okay? Don't kill nobody. Don't lie. Don't, you know what I'm saying? It's just basic human behavior, okay? And so the tablets were there, the rod of Aaron, which in, my, in reading a bunch of stuff, some people talked about how it represented um, God's appointed leadership amongst his people and that kind of thing, and, and uh, the authority that the represented by the rod. God chooses leaders. We need to stay in unity and all those kind of things I read about it. And then you look at God's provision for us, the manna, the bread, the bread of life. You can relate that to a lot of things. But these are these are gifts that God had sent. These are gifts that God had given to His people. They weren't God, okay? But they said, "Let us go get the ark that it would deliver us." See how serious that is? The gifts, the box, can deliver us, not God. The box, okay? You see, and, and we're looking at that going, gosh, how could they do that? Right? We do this all the time. Okay? We do it all the time. It's easy to see when we read these stories. It's just why we should read these stories. Okay? But, but we, do, we do that too. We, let our, we look to our gifts and things we're given, things we have, the powers we have, authority we've been given. We, we look at all that to rescue us and be our security and they're not given to us for that. We let religion and traditionalism try to deliver us and it can't. It's God who delivers. Okay? And when I say traditionalism, it's, it's different than what you may be thinking. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not arguing contemporary or traditional church. Okay? It's, it's that religion and, and, and all the emotions would say this. We can't. It's God who delivers. So the question becomes this morning, what is your it? What is it for you? What is it? What are you trying to get to be your security? You know how hard we strive and we, we call and we just every day trying our best going after this maybe not because God has called us to it maybe not but because we're trying to achieve a certain level of security or comfort or, or this is if I can get if I can get this or I can get here or I can if I have this around me I would feel delivered and I would feel safe what are you trying to give your kids for deliverance for security it better be God, not gifts. Not even God's gifts. It better be God Himself. And the Israelites are so excited about the ark being with them, they're like, yeah, we've got it. Okay? We should make a movie called It. Okay? And the Israelites are so excited about the ark being with them that they go back into battle and they shout. And they're like, yes, we've got the ark. And, and the Philistines are like, oh my gosh, why are they so happy? Why are they shouting? And this, it's making us nervous. They're like, what's going on? They're like, oh my gosh, they've got this ark, this, 
they, they look at it the same way. They go, they've got this God in their presence. They say gods because they don't understand it all. Gods are in their midst. This, and they even know the stories. This God who smote the Egyptians with the plagues and did all these things. Okay? And, and they're like, what are we going to do? They've got a God with them. Okay? And they're like, okay, we've got to talk ourselves up. Okay? Come on, Jonathan. We've got to do this. Here's the thing. We either go in battle and die or we become their slaves. Okay? Let's just let's be men and die. Okay? So they're like, let's go anyway. And so they go. And the Philistines win and kill 30,000 Israelites. Not only that, but Eli's sons. Remember, the, they'll die on the same day. Two of those 30,000 are Eli's sons. Hophni and Phinehas die. Not only that, the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines. And a runner comes back to Eli from the front lines. Eli's gotten old. And it says, and heavy. Okay? That's what the Bible says. I'm not being derogatory. Okay? But a runner comes back from the front lines, comes to Eli, and says, Eli, we've lost the battle. Not only that, your sons have been killed. And not only that, the Ark of the Covenant is gone. And Eli, in his old age, he's seated. He, 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 he is so overwhelmed, he falls back. And, it's, and the, the Bible says because of his age and, his, and because he's heavy, he falls back, breaks his neck, and he dies. Then Phineas's wife... The daughter-in-law hears the news that her husband's dead, that Eli's dead, Ark's been taken, and she it throws her into labor. She's pregnant. Okay, so all this shock throws her in that she gives birth. Okay, dies, and she names the son. Anybody know? Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. The glory of the Lord, the glory of God has departed from Israel. It's just literally the glory has departed. Not a good name. Okay, don't put that on your list if you're thinking about having a kid. Okay? And she dies grieving the loss of her family and grieving the loss, it says specifically, grieving the loss of it. Not that God wasn't with them. Not that His favor wasn't... not, Not that He... Not anything about him. We've lost it. You get into chapter 5. The Philistines take the Ark of the the Covenant to the temple of their God, which is Dagon. It's like dragon without the R. Dagon. And they put the Ark in front of the statue of Dagon in their temple. And they get up the next day, and this statue of Dagon, or whatever it is, has fallen on its face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So not good for the Philistines and their God. Not so good if you have to pick up your God and stand him back up on his feet. Okay? Might want to find something else to worship. Okay? And so they stand him back up. Well, they go back the next day, and guess what's happened? He fell on his face, but guess what happened this time? His head pops off. His hands come off. And they're like, get some duct tape. You know, let's put him back together. And so they duct tape their God back together, stand him up again. And it becomes that question again of lessons in this that we see of what are you worshiping that it takes all your effort to keep that thing going, 
You're always having to fix it. You're always having to put it back together. You're always having to put all this effort in to keep your God ever before you. If you have to keep your God going, he's not a very good God. Not worth building your life around. So they think to themselves, maybe this God of Israel's the real deal because the statue keeps falling over and the people in the city around the temple of Dagon start to get tumors and mice ravage the land. And so, sorry, I was having flashbacks to my office last night. Okay? And so they put together, we got some mice over there. Okay? And so they put together, they put it together that, that, these tumors and this, these mice are because of this ark. Of the, it's, it, that stuff showed up when that thing showed up. So you know what they do? Hey, let's, let's pass this thing off to the next city. Okay? And so they're like, hey, guys, other Philistines in the other city, we feel so bad. We've been hogging the ark all to ourselves. Why don't you guys you, take it to your temple in your city and you all can have it for a while. It doesn't say that's what they said, but you know. They didn't go, hey, we're getting tumors and mice over here. You want this thing? Okay. They're like, yeah. You know, you know, they had to do something to say, hey, <laughs> we're sorry. We've been hogging it. You know, we've defeated. Won't you guys have a parade and celebrate in your, for us defeating the, the, the Israelites? So it goes to the next city. But what happens there? Tumors and mice. They send it. So, you know, they're like, yeah, thanks, guys. We got you now. Hey, other city, uh, we've been hogging the ark, you know, and they pass it off to the next city, right? And pretty soon there's nowhere to pass it off to because everybody figures out, no, we ain't taking it. We ain't, we ain't doing, we aren't falling for that one. And so all the leaders of the, the Philistines, the, the, their kings get together, and you get into chapter 6, and, and the Philistine leaders get together, and they agree to send the Ark of the Covenant off. They're just going to put it on a cart, put two milk cows on it. Why milk cows? I don't know. Okay, it said milk, M-I-L-C-H, so I had to look that up and go, what's a milch cow? Okay, but it's just a dairy cow, okay? That's ha- something about it's had a calf and it's a dairy cow. I don't know, Dad can explain it to me later. And, and so they get these two milk cows and they, they put the cart and they put the ark on it and they go, okay, we're just going to send this thing off out of the city. And if it goes straight back to Israel, we know that God did this, that the ark is the reason all this happened. But if it goes somewhere else, turns and goes somewhere else, we'll know that this, the plagues, the tumors, and the mice were all by chance. It had nothing to do with the ark. They send it off. Guess what? The Bible says it did not turn to the left or to the right, but it went straight back to Israel. And so the cart went straight back and 50 thousand and seventy Philistine men die as punishment because when they had the ark with them with them they looked in it that's why which you all knew not to do that because of Raiders of the Lost Ark okay Indiana Jones if you read the see if they'd read the Bible they'd have knew that already and not done that okay they'd have got it okay that's why you got to read your Bible it gets you in trouble okay and so they looked in it they bunch of the men, 50,000 men died, and the people of Israel shouted and celebrated the return of the, the item that symbolized the covenant to them from God. And so they questioned Samuel and they asked him, why did God do that to us? Why did he, after they looked to it to save them, they go, why did God do that to us? And Samuel tells them, the problem is, 
that you have worshipped other things and gods and idols and, and you've brought all this stuff into your homes, into your lives, your it, you've brought all this other stuff and worshipped it alongside God and God doesn't share. You have worshipped the gifts of God and not God Himself. And so he says in 1 Samuel 7, verse 3 and 4, he says, it says this, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone, He will deliver you. He will. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. So dads here that say you follow the Lord, do your children clearly see that you worship God alone? Or do they think other things are brought in there alongside of it? Maybe other things are more important. Maybe other things share that space with Him. Not what you say, because we say it a lot. We say, I worship God, I go to church, I worship Jesus. But is your life built around Him, or is it shared by a bunch of other things? Where is your heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do you treasure? What's your life show that you treasure? And so Samuel says, let's all gather at Mizpah, the whole nation, and I will pray the Lord for you. And while they are gathered there to pray, and they're praying, the Philistines decide, hey, they've all gathered together, let's attack them again, okay? And so they're praying, and God's like, don't interrupt my people while you're, they're praying. And so he sends this big thunder to confuse the, it, the, the Philistines, and the people have turned back to the Lord, so he confuses them. They, the Philistines all run off, they chase them down and kill them as they run away. And so then Samuel takes a stone and sets it between Mizpah and Shin. And he names this rock Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Let's not forget, it's God who delivers us. It's God who helps us. So he takes this stone, this, he makes this monument thing, the stone, whatever it is, he dedicates that as this is a reminder that God saves, God delivers. It's Him that we need. Our hearts are be, to be turned toward, towards Him. It's God who gets us the victory. Not it, not you, not a leader, not me, but God is our deliverer. Don't forget, this rock is here as a memorial so we don't forget what has happened and that it's God and nothing else. Chapter 8, okay? Samuel becomes judge of Israel. Samuel gets old and passes things down to his two boys. They turn from the Lord. One generation, that's all it took. And they say, yeah, you know, remember that stone that Dad talked about and the, the Ebenezer thing? Yeah, I remember when I was little and seeing that, and that was, that was cool, and we've been by there a few times. Dad still talks about, you know that deal with God delivering us, and that's a reminder? Well, let's just forget that. We want a king. Why do they want a king? Samuel warns them that they shouldn't do that, and they're like, we want a king anyway. We don't care. 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like other nations. Listen to this. That our king may judge us and do what? Go out before us and win our battles. Forget that rock. We want a king. The king 
The human king will deliver us. And once again, Samuel remains faithful to God, doesn't worry about popularity, being liked, saying what the people want to hear. Yet, he loved the people and helped them all he could. Once again, steadfast faith in God his whole life, regardless of what the people said around him. 1 Samuel 12, we get there, verse 19. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. They realize it. Samuel keeps telling them, Don't do that, here's why. Don't do that, here's why. And finally they go, Maybe we shouldn't have done that. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. He says, You've made these mistakes, okay? And we keep making the same mistakes, but whatever you do, keep coming back to following the Lord. Don't don't let the mistake you've made stop you from following the Lord where you are. You have committed this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Some versions say are empty. This is NASB that I'm reading from. Same thing. It's futile. It's empty. It's worthless. For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. There's an Old Testament argument right there for what I believe is the same thing as is if you're saved, you're always saved. Okay? He's, he's saying, even though you make these mistakes, just keep turning back to me because you, you can't. You're my people. So just keep following me. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. If you continue to do wicked, you're not my people. It just shows you're not my people. So what do we learn from this? One, it's not too late. It's not too late to turn to the Lord and do what's right. There's always this standing before you of, if you'll just turn to the Lord today and do what's right, it's good. He's with you. He's there with open arms. He's with you. Number two, dads lead your children into things that are not futile and empty. Don't give them things that in the end are empty. Show them what a life dedicated to God, like Samuel did, what it looks like. Don't point them to things that are empty that can't deliver. Not that we can't listen to what I'm saying here, though. Because some people will walk away and go, we shouldn't enjoy anything in life. We, should, we shouldn't have anything. We shouldn't enjoy anything. I'm not saying don't enjoy the good gifts that God gives you. Just don't worship those gifts above God. You should find even more enjoyment in Him than you do those things, is the point. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's not a poverty gospel. It's I am who I am in character. If God blesses me with something, how do I leverage that to, for God's glory? There's things He gives me to enjoy, the Bible teaches. 
but I don't worship those things. Saul is made king and gets so full of himself. Okay? They ask for a king and who they get? They get Saul. And the Bible says Saul was the most handsome, tallest man in Israel. He was it. Okay? He was it with some hotness on top. Okay? He's just it. I mean, that's just what the Bible says. It's like, he's really handsome. He's tall, dark, cool drink of water. Okay? He's got it going on. The people wanted a king, so I gave them the best guy I could give them. Because what they're wanting is this man to deliver them. Okay, well, here's the coolest guy you got. You, th- you, think, he's, you think he's it? He can be your king. Okay? And so Saul gets to the point where he's so full of himself By chapter 15, he sets up a monument to himself. Remember the Ebenezer? But this rock was to show how great he was. Okay? And Samuel rebukes Saul and says, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. Even though he put you here in the first place. (coughs) Then along comes David, son of Jesse. Little bitty dude. Youngest guy in the family. And God chooses him to be king. And that's where we get to the fight with David and Goliath. Okay? Goliath calls him out every day. I'm sure part of Goliath's deal was, look, people, we've been fighting for years. Let's not do this again. Just send out one guy to fight me and let's just solve all this because we're just we're wasting each other's nations, okay? Just fight me, one man. But where's, where's tall drink of water at? Where's, where's <laughs> handsome, tall, cool guy? Where's he at? He's in a tent going, who's going to go fight him? Right? But why did the people pick him in the first place? So we'd have a king that would go out and fight for us and win. The guy the people wanted to do that for them doesn't show up. No matter how great you think a leader is, no matter how godly he may seem, he cannot rule you the way God is to rule you. He cannot deliver you the way God can deliver you. Not me, not any leader in this church, nobody. We can't do it. We're not perfect, never will be. God is the one you're to have faith in, not people. Men are not perfect. As great as they can be and and, and a leader may be, they can't be perfect so our faith stays in God so we're not disappointed. David strikes Goliath in the name of the Lord. You remember that story? It says the Lord would defeat Goliath that day and Goliath falls how? Face forward in front of David. You know that whole thing of throwing a, hitting him in the forehead? Why didn't he fall backward? Now that you know the backstory, that was the cool thing for me too is to go, remember Dagon in the ark? And he would fall on his face before... And it just makes me think, one day, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that just all... Remember, Jesus is all through the Bible. Okay, It all points to Him. It all shows Him. It's all reflective of Him. And here's the great, crazy thing, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to close, but I'm going to get off on this for just a second, okay? It's, it's this thing of... We think the Bible is like some man-made, rote thing that has no nothing divine about it, no God intervention. Okay, how is this thread all the way through this book? How do these stories all go together? 
over what, 15, 1600 years, whatever it is, from one. Try that again. There we go. Okay. I want to go back there and grab me a couple of batteries. That's probably what. It And you find out that, that science is often validated by Scripture. I mean, it's this whole... I know now there's a new theory that the earth is flat. I don't know how they figured that out because if the guy sailed to the end and he fell off, he wouldn't be here to tell us that, okay? It's like that is so crazy. But even before we discovered the earth was round, the Bible says that God sits above the sphere of the earth. The Bible told us it was round, Okay? There's, there's not anything in there that, that doesn't match. I was like, that was one of the cool things during camp is kids, some of the students were like, dinosaurs. It was like, Job 40. Go read it. They're there. Okay? And I know that's confusing. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> yeah, tail like a cedar. I'm like, dude, it's a brontosaurus. You know? Okay? Eating the plants, long neck, tail like a cedar. Okay? It's interesting. Uh, AnswersInGenesis.org. Go to that website. You can learn about mac macro and microevolution. Okay? Macroevolution? No. Microevolution? Yeah. It's, there's adaptations. There's always, it's always the loss of DNA, never gained DNA. There's, there's all explanations for all of it that's scientific, and, and it matches the Bible that says they were made after their own kind. Nothing has ever changed a kind. Adaptations, yes. Loss of DNA information to, to help the short-haired dogs live down south and the long-haired dogs live up north, okay, and all that stuff. Okay, I want to get, I'm getting way off track, okay? But the, the, the Bible is accurate, even scientifically. There's so much there that you just go, you've got to get into this book. It's divinely inspired. There's no way it even exists. The earliest manuscripts we have outweigh any other document ever on the planet ever existed. And 
empires have had have tried to destroy it, and it's still the most sold book in the world. Like there's no way this thing isn't from God. And it's just impossible. Okay? I don't care how much you argue. You can't in in even historical, you know, professors, all these people that are like historical experts. You can't find a credible one anymore that doesn't go, yeah, Jesus was a real person who existed in history. Okay, they can't even argue that anymore. Okay, it's, it's just, this happened. It's real. And here's the deal about that. I'm just, I'm just totally off here this morning, but if, if, the, if it's real and it happened, then the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happened. And if Jesus came back from the dead and all that happened, it changes everything for everybody. Okay? Then, then I don't need anything else. Okay, I just trust and believe the rest of it and obey God and know He's right. Because if He, if I'm going with the guy that came back from the dead, okay, I'm I'm just banking on that. So anyway, it, it's I've gotten way off track, but it's just the Bible is awesome, and you just need to read it, and it will change your life. It's it's the I can't remember her name right now from from. Uh, England that came over was a missionary in Honduras that we met. What is her name? She's going to kill me if she's watching. Um, um, she, Helen. That's right, Helen. Sorry, Helen. And Helen was came down as a missionary, not to a Christian organization, but next door to a church in Honduras. And the, the pastor of that church in Honduras was an English-speaking guy who had been an atheist at one point. Gets her to just gives her a Bible, and she came to him and was like, You're, You were an atheist? How in the world did you become what you are? How did you buy into this thing? You're smarter than that. You seem like a smart guy. What happened? And he's like, Read this. That's all he did. And I'm telling you, you read it. It's divinely inspired. God's behind it. it it'll change you. It'll, it, it'll, it, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Just Even if you don't believe, just say, God. Hey, if you're real, hit me. I'm going to read it. I dare you to read it. That's, that's all I know to do, okay? But that's all it was. She was reading the Bible herself and going, okay, I'll check this thing out, and finds herself kneeling next to her bed, surrendering her life to the Lord, and became a missionary for Jesus Christ, not for whatever organization she was with. It's, it's amazing what that... That book is. That's why people try to destroy it. It's why they try to get rid of it because it is so powerful. Why is it so powerful? Not because of it. Because John, in the book of John, it tells us that he is the living word because of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's about Jesus. Okay? So I'm totally somewhere else. But God is our deliverer. Nothing else. And we need to keep our faith and our lives built around Him. Show your kids who and how to build their life around the one who will not fail us. The gospel is not how great some leader is, some pastor is, some church is, some deacon is, some program is. The gospel that delivers is Jesus and how great our God is. Every time we have communion, like the Lord's Supper, we had this past... past, Past Sunday night, the Lord's Supper, communion... I don't know why this place isn't packed out more than ever. Because what we're saying when we do the Lord's Supper is we're going, Ebenezer, the Lord is my rock. I will not forget. I'm remembering that Jesus is the rock of my life. 
and He delivers me, He saved me, and I will not forget that because we so quickly forget that. He is our rock. He is where we say, remember, the only one who delivers. He shed His blood on the cross in our place for our sin. He is our only hope. And these stories, like this stuff in 1 Samuel, are all stories that point to Jesus. Everything else we look to is futile and empty. So let's pray this morning. If you've never turned to Jesus, you've been seeking deliverance this morning in so many other places. Whatever you've been looking for life in, maybe you need to Turn that over to the one true God this morning. You, you, you hear me say this, and it's just, it's the gospel, it's the truth. It's, we are born with sin, we are broken, and only God can fix us, heal us, deliver us from that sin that's going to lead to death. Yes, we're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead until we get Jesus' forgiveness and regeneration. So it's it's this simple. It's going through life and man, I'm God of my life. I make my own decisions. We we may not even see it, but we start to worship these other things and they control our lives. And because God loves us so much, he put this plan in place to say, I'm going to I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you from those other things that are futile and empty. I'm going to rescue you from yourself because you're broken. And you don't even know. And so this morning, maybe you see Jesus and you go, that's what I need. I have built my life around other things. I've been Lord of my own life. I've been trying to deliver myself through so many other things. But this morning, I know Jesus is it. So I turn. That word repentance you hear in churches, it's not a bad word. It's a good word. It's a good word that just simply means I turn from that, from myself, my sin, from death, from from other gods and things I've built my life around, I'm turning from all of that and I'm turning to Jesus. And I'm saying, you are Lord of my life. You are over all things. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to follow you because only you can deliver me. You died on the cross in my place for my sin. Shed your blood for me that I could live. And because you rose again, you bring me new life that I can become like you. that the fruit of the Spirit can grow in me where I have lo- more love, more joy, more peace, more kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things, goodness. Only you can really give me those things in their purity. And so I turn to you. So if that's you, you just have that conversation with God right now. You just say, God, best I know how, I'm turning. Forgive me of my sin, I'm yours. I want to follow you. I want to get into your word. God, by your Holy Spirit, just move that in me right now. And I just, I surrender. I'm following all this other stuff and I just surrender to Jesus. Father, for the rest of us, may we say we are Christians. Would we show by our lives and our actions that everything we are is built around you? I love you, Father. Thank you for your gifts, especially your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.